You know, it's funny. We've been we've started down the path of having conversations with mayoral candidates. Of course, now when we did it, there were six or five or something. I like really that. don't know how many there are. Yeah. Now. Well, now they got a phone book, but we're you know yeah. we're going to work on it, and if we have to, um, we'll just pick and choose our favorites. But well, we're doing we, good so far. We got two great ones so far. We do, and and uh, I'm in conversation with Matt Wilcher's people, and excellent. We're going to do. Oh, we we're had doing Sharon. a podcast. Oh yeah, we, we should just we should just put this on 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 some sort of recording device. Yeah. So hi, I'm Jay. I'm Brian, and this is the BNA podcast. Welcome. same as it always is. It is. And we're here. We're joined today by uh, the District 19 Council Member and Mayoral Candidate, Freddie O'Connell. Freddie, welcome to welcome. the BNA Podcast. No, thanks for having me. Good morning. So uh, so we're glad to have you here. And um, as you know, we're trying to interview all of the 452 mayoral candidates that we have. We keep adding weekly. I think we've added two more this week. Um, but Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're a unicorn. You grew up in Nashville. So uh, uh, tell a little bit about how you ended up as a council person. <laughs> well, it's uh, a long and unplanned journey, mostly, <laughs> ha- I guess you could say a series of mostly happy accidents. Um, yeah, so I grew up and uh, went to Aiken Elementary, not too far away from the neighborhood I grew up in. Uh my parents are still over there. We were just talking about it, Bowling Avenue, uh, Richland West End neighborhood. They've been over there since the 70s. So, um, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Even, you know, think about the change across that many decades. That was uh, before I-440. We had right, a friend yeah, yeah. who had a little clubhouse out in the grassy field that at Absolutely. one point wasn't well. there. And then uh, they they put it down, and before it was open to cars, we used to ride bikes on it. And there's nothing like a, a super highway for a bunch of kids on bikes yeah, <laughs> with exactly. no car. It was so fun. I did the same. <laughs> I walked it. I didn't have a bike here. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, but you, I mean, you know, it. There, it's funny. It's like if you if you if you've ever seen a movie about L.A. or some of the places out in California where they've got the big, you know, the giant culverts where. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's know. with the L.A. River. We ride right. the L.A. River. Yeah. That's. I'm from there. Yeah. So, so I mean, well then you you know more than the movie show, but it's it felt like that riding your bike around an empty I-440 back then. Um, and then I went. My mom, who had taught in uh, both metro schools and. Uh, private schools at MBA. Uh, she started her career there, taught in Metro for a while, uh, came back to MBA the year that I was going to start seventh grade, actually. And there's uh, no better benefit for the faculty there, especially when you have two sons to right, be able to go. Exactly. Uh, so my brother and I went to MBA. I uh, went away for college. That was by design. I wanted to experience something different. I knew what I wanted to study. I wanted to study computer science, which I did. I uh, picked up a music degree along the way, which again, on the list of happy accidents. Um, <laughs> but it was almost like not really even re- expecting to return to Nashville. Um, I, you know, I, I left before what I would call modern Nashville had really gotten underway. I mean, you you both have probably seen Robert Altman's movie, Nashville. Right, absolutely. And there's a lot of reality in there, right? I mean, there was sort of this old-fashioned, you know, grittier, uh, the way the politics play out, the the music scene, smaller, smaller city, maybe even sleepier city, 
and I wasn't sure that that was what I was interested in. But interestingly enough, the five years I was away, um, you started to see the signs of something different. By the time I had come back, we had a brand new downtown library. We had Bicentennial Mall was built. Um, you know, Bridgestone Arena was up. Uh, they had just kind of finished the referendum on the Titans, which was interesting uh, and plays out today. Um, but I had a bunch of friends coming back for everything from grad school to jobs. I actually had a job waiting here for me, and I came back. And, uh, you know, it was around that time that I sort of got involved in um, nonprofit work and advocacy. And it was interesting because, you know, I was I was driving a car in college, and I had gone to a friend's wedding in North Carolina right before I graduated. And I was going to go back up and graduate, and then my brother was going to drive the car back to Nashville. And I'll just say it was a car that needed a lot of TLC, and if you didn't know how to drive it at high speeds, it was an old Toyota Tercel that uh, right. it, it would overheat easily, let's sure. say it that way. My brother didn't really understand uh, that it, how easily it might overheat, and it didn't last. So okay. by the time I got back, my girlfriend, who we met in college, uh, was here and we were sharing her car and it was interesting because 2002 was the first year I ever started riding the bus. We were living out uh, on the edge of Bellevue on the hill and uh, that worked pretty well. She decided a, maybe a couple years into being back in Nashville that she wanted to pursue her childhood dream of being a physician, um, which she had kind of stepped away from as an undergraduate and then uh, went away. She decided to go back up north and get some pre-med credits that she needed. Uh, left her car in my care. I spent the next, like the first little bit of that period paying off my undergraduate loans. Gotcha. I didn't, didn't, like, <laughs> didn't like having debt. Sure. Uh, and the reward for that <laughs> achievement was that her car died. Gotcha. Uh, catastrophic transmission failure to the mm -hmm. tune of more than the blue book value of the car. Uh, and that, so, you know, I'd kind of gotten, um, interested in politics and advocacy, even out in Bellevue, there was, I, I need to go find out, um, this woman's name and see if she's still out there. But there was a woman in a cry Lake office out mm -hmm. there, a real, a little right. real, real estate office out in Bellevue who used to pull together these little political confabs. And right. so you could go interact with your, uh, state representatives and council members and it was it was a really neat experience especially as a young person because uh, I didn't I mean Jay I'll, I'll tell you straight out I didn't register to vote when I was 18 sure. you know it was one of those uh, errors in judgment in life yeah. uh, that I encourage other young folks not to make uh, but part of it was because growing up then my exposure to politics was television and on national TV it does not feel like politics is speaking to you on the ground and so when you then get to go meet the people much closer to you in person it starts to change your perspective about oh i can go interact with folks i can talk to them about my concerns and tennessee at that time was going through all the royals of what was to become of tin care and mm -hmm. you know the the last time we had this many people probably at the capitol on a regular basis was the horn honker debate right. of the income exactly. tax yep. era um and so not having a car turned into something interesting i was you know i was reluctant to go back into debt by that point i had uh, while Whitney was away, found a roommate. We had moved in closer to Centennial Park, and 
I walked across the street and bought a bike, which I still have. It was a Trek 7100 from Cumberland Transit. Uh, nice little commuter bike. It's heavier than a lot of bikes now. Certainly. <laughs> right. Sure. Uh, but, it's, but it's still good. It's a, wish I had had an odometer on it because it's got thousands of miles on it at this point. But uh, did that, figured out the trusty number three, which was the old West End route. Right. Uh, and... The experience of being car free turned into three and a half years of extraordinary savings. I've never, still never saved as much money as quickly uh, as when I was car free because that's actually the average cost of car ownership in the city of Nashville. It's almost an implicit tax we impose upon people is $8,000 a year. Wow. So at the end of that, I had enough for a down payment. Bought a house in Salem Town. Whitney came back. And the reason we wound up in Salem Town, because she was going to Meharry Medical College and we needed to be close enough to walk or bike or ride transit because we still we owned a house before we owned a car. Nice. Uh and so that was a that was interesting for a couple of reasons. At the time Salem Town was a working class majority minority neighborhood. Right. Um and we were a part of the Meharry community and uh, had a lot of exposure to Jefferson Street. Your last guest, actually, Sharon Hurt, um, she was a great guide for me to the Jefferson Street corridor right. um, through Jump, and she was working on a gateway project under the I-40 overpass at the time. Uh, I was going to local chapter, local branch meetings of the NAACP, which was pretty active on some issues in education at that time. Uh, and so you got a lot of lessons in community. And then we had moved in the week that Erica Gilmore got elected, actually. Right. We moved sure. in that election day. And Erica and I built this fantastic relationship where she was, she in some ways helped the community turn the corner uh, from being a place where there's a cone of silence to a place where it was sort of, if you see something, say something, right? Gotcha. That, yeah. Um, she, one of her early community meetings after getting elected, she was like, look, if if something's happening that's unsafe, that makes you feel unsafe, you should speak up about it. And the neighborhood had just started to organize a little bit. Uh, and I got involved in that and got invited to take on a leadership role there. Um, and so at that point, I had been for several years a neighborhood leader, worked on some projects to tie nonprofits together. The Nashville Rescue Mission has their Women and Families Campus in right. our neighborhood. Sure. It's being redeveloped right now. Metro Action Commission at the time was actually headquartered there, and they do all of our energy assistance and some sure. other programs for low-income Nashvillians. Um, they have still a Head Start presence in the old historic Fear School building. We got a historical marker done for that. Um, and then we were also having a lot of conversations about education because we had some neighbors in the community that were ready to go volunteer at what was then Buena Vista Elementary, which has since gotten consolidated into Jones. Right. And I got involved in this organization called the North Nashville Leadership Council, which pulled together a lot of neighborhood leaders from across North Nashville. Tanya Sherrill was one of the organizers of that. And, you know, it, at some point by about 2014, oh, well, so now tie all this together. Uh, not long after I moved in, Mayor Dean invited me to join the Nashville MTA Board of Directors. So right. now I'm actually working on the policy of the thing that was so important to me personally that let me buy my house. And then meanwhile, we're invested here in the community. Well, fast forward to 2014, I had a lot of people 
that had kind of seen the profile of work that I was doing say you ought to run for Metro Council and I, I will say to the point of being unplanned it was a very slow journey from and sorry to say this in your church but uh, hell no yeah uh, to no, I've said that before actually <laughs> a couple of times there. Uh, you know hell no to absolutely not to okay I'll look at a map to oh this is a really interesting map and I know the district a lot better than I thought I did to I guess it's time to talk to Councilmember Gilmore and right. sit down and have that conversation to sure. let's have some people over to the living room and <laughs> uh, then it's like okay I think we've got enough support here to possibly make this happen so good that's deal. that's how I ran for Metro Council good deal so you mentioned um, Mayor Dean appointing you a, a little while back to the MTA board yeah um one of the things that I've seen with several of our recent mayors has been this focus. It seems like they're when they look at their policy um, goals for their um, campaign, uh, economic and de- economic development, and public safety have been at the top of the list. Yeah. And as I was going through your website and kind of the issues you're lifting up, they're not listed at all. I wonder if you might speak. Well, actually, before we do that. Um, you also list yourself on your website as the only true progressive in the race. And so how do you define what that means? I think that's really about now uh, Nashville <laughs> being intentional about making progress, right? I think this is this is the moment to step away from more of the same. If we don't stop making the same mistakes we have made, we are going to endanger at least the foundations of the prosperity we've enjoyed. And so for me, a great example of this uh, is the conversation about the Titan Stadium. Uh, to me, this is an example of the classic type of economic development thinking, uh, the classic type of misdirection about the structure of the finances for the deal, which will ultimately encumber $4 billion worth of taxpayer dollars if we uh, proceed with that deal. And to me, that's expressly not progressive in this moment. To me, progressive means looking at things like transit and affordable housing as almost synonymous, right? They they go together. They should not be split apart. We shouldn't say, oh, we're only going to do affordable housing because transit's hard or, right? right? Uh, it means work that you know that I've been invested in for several years now, which is not just thinking about the services, but also how affordable housing encompasses housing specifically for folks that are unhoused, which is right. much more challenging. Sure. Um, I think it also means the thing that we walked in the door talking about, which is the posture of the state of Tennessee in relation to Nashville and the willingness to be engaged in that as the fight that it is. So I think most of those things are progressive. And that brings me to a question I was thinking about this morning on the way over here, and that is with the state and their aggressive, you know, extraction of power from Nashville specifically, even though they would say it's all cities. um, If they take over the sports authority, why would the city of Nashville put any money in the stadium? Uh this is a great question. In fact, my sensibility of no back in December when they offered the framework was mostly about the structure of the finances. But the fact that this council <laughs> has considered the deal uh, as they are in the act of commandeering our sports authority yeah. is unthinkable to me. I mean, that 
that does not say we're even willing to use any of our leverage as a city. And to me, that's the those are the points of negotiation. We have leverage as a city. Well, I think, and I, as we talked about a little bit, and I made some comments about yesterday in media and social media, but. You know, Nashville has this opportunity right now because the state has decided to play its hand so clearly, both regarding Nashville and regarding our two state representatives being expelled. Now we have this opportunity to be the bellwether for this national fight that's going on between urban and rural, which is really the problem in the United States, right? I mean, that's the the definitive problem of the future. Well, and I've talked between urban and rural. You're right to to in many ways, and it's been interesting because I've talked to people who have been looking at this, uh, you know, because we've gotten some national attention over the past week uh, about whether we wanted it or not. (laughs) Yeah, right. And I mean, first, certainly, we got a tragic round of national Mm -hmm. attention about our school shooting at Covenant. Then that evolved into a, another round of national attention this of the politically embarrassing kind but i was talking to people this week about what other states red states with blue cities particularly as capitals and you think about texas and austin mm-hmm. and i was talking to some friends there uh it's not as bad as here right it's it's, it's almost like we're trying to get put on the map as florida's the, not as bad florida's texas not, is as bad. not as north bad. carolina's not no. as bad uh nowhere has it quite as tense as Nashville right now. And so it means we need to be looking at our points of leverage and looking at the ways that we can turn those into negotiations. And they, I have a feeling in many cases they are going to be protracted and we're going to, we're going to lose more. I mean, we, we had a, a very short conversation on the floor uh, last week when we were looking at the Titans deal. Um, and, somebody said and i can't remember if this was on a mic or it was we had it was a i'll just say the energy that evening was chaos um but like it. at some point along the way it was like well what's to uh, yeah okay right now the amendment that they're considering would leave us with a one person majority on our own sports authority which issues bonds in our name by the way right. for metro taxpayers uh and it's like, well, okay, what's to have them keep them from coming back next session? And suddenly it's Changing just like the we numbers. take over the entire sports. For sure. Right? right. Well, I think, and you know, those are the things that I think we have looked at. Nashville, to me, feels like I've been here 12 years since I lived here in the 80s. I moved back here 12 years ago. In those 12 years, you've seen this wild shift, right? I mean, it's, we were talking yesterday on the podcast uh, about, this was a, you know, it was kind of a red state. It was kind of a dark pink when I moved right. here 12 years ago. Right. Nashville was kind of, when I moved here the first time, I came here in 79, moved here permanently in 1980. You know, Tennessee was, of course, blue, and Nashville was kind of red. It was like, it was more conservative in Nashville than it was in the hinterlands because of the traditions of the Democratic Party in the South. That, that happened, that was 1980, right? That was the shift year, and then everything started shifting. Um. To see what's happening right now, I, I talk about the fact that nobody ever talks about Tennessee because we're not a swing state, right? We're such a such a dependable red national state that we will send only Republicans to Congress. We will send only Republicans to the White House, etc. We don't get any news. Now, fortunately, the arrogance that came with that power allowed our leaders in the legislature to really show themselves this week, right? They really did open it up. But at the same time, I look at our thousands of people uh, cumulatively joined protests at the Capitol 
you know, all from Nashville, all young people. They weren't all from Nashville. They were not all from Nashville. That's true. There, there certainly were. There some were folks some Middle Tennessee from... students. I mean, yeah, I heard right, right. folks coming up from Williamson, coming down from Good. Sumner, and that that I think the there is an interest in organizing in that way. There was a beautiful moment when one of the staffers tore down that banner. I don't know if you saw that video did, or not, yeah. but somebody dropped a sheet that said "Rural Tennesseans for right uh, against uh, for, GOP against fascism GOP or fascism," and boy, that lasted. Less than five seconds, yeah. for pretty, sure. Pretty much five, about five seconds. I mean, right. So to me, I don't know if there's a question in there, but my thing is like they, we have shifted the debate in the mayor's race from, you know, what are we going to do next year about, you know, Titan Stadium and what are we going to do about traffic and the downtown plan and all those things that we've talked about on this podcast for a couple of years to, holy crap, what do we do about the state we're in? Well, and so... I think this is important, but it's it's important for a couple of reasons, because nobody that sits at the microphone I'm sitting at right now should have a free pass to come in and talk to your listeners about how good a job they're going to do managing the relationship with the state, because <laughs> right. if they they're either bad at it or lying if they try, because they'd be doing it right now. And I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm not here to tell you that I have unlocked the mystery of state and local relationships, but I will say a couple things about how we approach it. One, we do have leverage as a city, and and I am a little frustrated that we are still actively in the process of just giving the state of Tennessee what it wants from us, which is more tourism dollars. Uh, to me, the best iteration of Nashville that comes from this conversation we're having this August is, how we reimagine a Nashville for Nashvillians. And that means being comfortable taking down our bachelorette's welcome flag and maybe putting up a flag that says family's welcome and figuring out how that happens or neighbor's welcome. And, you know, and it's one of the reasons why over the past few weeks, a, a conversation with a friend really helped me almost find a different way to explain why the platform I've been working on for a long time is so important to this moment. And it has a lot to do with the state and local relationship. And it is fundamentally, I want people to stay in Nashville. We need everyone who was there at these protests, not just fighting, like actually being a part of a protest movement, but then also voting. I mean, the, the, their effort to eliminate our congressional seat is recoverable. If, we have 400,000 registered voters in Nashville. And if people show up to vote in the 5th and the 7th congressional districts, those two are winnable within the decade, right? And then the other, there are a couple pieces of antidote to what's happening with the state. And one of them is to use our local dollars to invest in a city that actually ha offers the very best it can to its residents. I mean, we got to a point, in fact, a couple of the things that had me interested in running for mayor in the first place were a collapse in city services where we couldn't pick up trash and recycling reliably, where right. we got to the point where we're number one worst in the country for potholes, where we had, after rebuilding over my first term in office, this incredible amount of trust among providers and uh, the homeless services community and including Metro it all evaporated from some choices made directly out of the mayor's office. I yeah. mean, these things matter to how Nashvillians feel, and we've got to serve Nashvillians extremely well as a local government in this moment, partly to offset the just the incredible overreach of the state. And you kind of led are leading into my next question, which was, 
you announced before Mayor Cooper had announced whether he was going to run again. You obviously thought that there was something going on in the mayor's office that um, you felt you could do better or felt needed to be changed. Um, Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. And so this really boiled down to a few different things. One, the first of them really that got me thinking about it was when I, a couple Christmases ago, went out and borrowed a truck to pick up recycling when the city couldn't, right? Yeah, they, right. They, they walked into a council meeting the week before Christmas and said, with no backup plan, no notice, no warning, uh, not even a chance to empty existing bins because ours were full, uh, we're going to stop the city service indefinitely. And it took them three days to issue a statement. I think they didn't realize, wait a second yes anybody in the urban services district whose trash is collected by metro expects that the city is going to come take care of this and just sitting there for weeks when you have your habits of you know separating your trash and your recycling that this actually matters so that was a thing um it's interesting because mayor cooper led us through what I would consider a mostly constructive exercise of developing a transportation plan, right? Which included transit. Right. And we had a pretty big conversation about that. And I actually amended that plan to get a few things in there that I thought were key missing ingredients. Um, and we were told we were going to pursue opportunistic funding to advance elements of that plan. Well, guess what happened? The CARES Act got passed at Congress and we had hundreds of millions of dollars at our disposable. And then the American Rescue Plan Act mm-hmm. got passed. And then after the largest property tax increase in metro history, we've pumped $1.5 billion of our own local capital into projects in Nashville. Well, you know what we didn't do? We didn't advance most of that transportation plan, and we specifically didn't advance transit. And this mayor was not going to do serious work on transit. And in fact, that's one of my biggest concerns about the field right now is I don't think there is another candidate as prepared as, as committed to, and as capable of advancing the cause of transit right now. But that was certainly clear with Mayor Cooper. The other piece that I have worked on and care deeply about is making progress also on the cause of mitigating homelessness in the city. And that was a place where I saw astonishingly poor judgment, uh, some of it about personnel, some of it about spending, some of it about continuing to advance projects. And so I, I felt like, okay, I can't defend this status quo. There are some things that only mayors can do, right? I mean, you learn pretty quickly. You can't build a transit system from council if there is a mayor who doesn't want to. Um, And some of this is honestly, though, continuing work that was done previously that had just gotten dropped. We had some great work done under mayors Barry and Briley on uh, early childhood literacy, on uh, the cause of financial empowerment. We have this program called the Financial Empowerment Center that anybody, no income restrictions, can go to fec.nashville.gov, set up an appointment. They've had a great track record. It's a partnership with United Way of eliminating debt, increasing savings. Again, part of my personal story that has been really materially important and some great people working on that. Um, there was this youth violence summit, you know, going back eight years ago. Uh, when we were starting to see our own young people die in individual incidents, not somebody going waking up and saying, hey, I'm going to kill some kids today, which is even more terrifying in, in so many ways. But still, if you have young people either killing themselves or, or in whatever way, catching bullets, getting terribly injured or killed, uh, it's important to invest in that. And Mayor Barry did this Youth Violence Summit program, and we need to now in the wake of another round of uh, very attention-grabbing 
violence, we need to go back and reinvest in that work. So that's so, a big part of it. So one of the things that if you get elected, so over the past three years now, we've become very dependent on CARES money, on ARP money. Right. And of course, the $50 million that Mayor Cooper, you know, lauded about for homeless response right. was all ART money. That's going to go going away in a couple of years, uh, probably a year or so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we're a year into it now. So we, yeah. we said two, two years on the front end. I mean, how are we going to pick? I mean, that's $50 million. And um, we're building this infrastructure. As you know, we've got it here in our church. Um and my big fear is we're going to come two years from now and everybody's going to say, oh, well, we've solved the problem, which we haven't. Um, looks like the pit count is going to actually increase slightly yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, so so how are you, both as a council person but also as a mayoral candidate, sort of helping folks to understand we've, we've got this expense that's coming that we, have, we are not planning for? I try to talk about it uh, as much as I can with the the platforms I've got is that we do need to be aware of that. So there's there's good news and there's bad news, right? So there's the good news is we also have other things that it's actually appropriate to spend one-time money on coming down the pike, and that is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the Inflation Reduction Act. When you get these buckets of money, which we've never seen this many or this much in my lifetime and might never again from right. the federal level, uh, and most of it being a response to COVID and its aftermath, it's very important to be strategic about how you do it. And this was actually, again, this is maybe the quieter frustration I had over the past couple of years is the way we were allocating our federal money. We didn't have a plan. In fact, Council pushed the mayor's office to say, if you don't have a plan, we're going to at least have an oversight committee. And we followed that model. But the oversight process is still not quite the same as a strategic vision. And they finally, at like midway through American Rescue Plan, came up with some sort of principles for how investments might be considered. And that was better than nothing. But I think we need to be as close to shovel ready as possible with these next pair of federal opportunities. And the focus should be on one-time money that doesn't create programs that then have a price tag down the road. Right. So that's that's the good news, and we can prepare for that. The, the troubling news is what you're talking about, and that is we're going to see cliffs, mm -hmm. right? And so, right. and there's other smaller ones too. So I'm very excited about Councilmember Suara using some of this money to allocate to write to council for people facing eviction because right. evictions paused a little bit during COVID, but then spiked and we had mass displacement events, a couple of them here in Nashville. And it's great to know that you can access funding for an attorney, which is not guaranteed. Like right. you don't have public defenders showing up by, def by default. If you get evicted, you're going to have a court date. And a lot of people just let that court date pass. They don't go in, they don't fight for their rights, what limited rights they have as tenants. Sure. And we've now got money set aside for that, but that's one-time money, right, when that's really a program. And so we're going to have to figure out all of those things. I think as we go through the next, you know, we'll see what's in the budget. We don't know yet for FY24, right? Right. Uh, but we're going to have to be very conscious as we look to the year after this election uh, that yeah, we've got some significant challenges. And even though we did have this 
significant property tax rate increase, inflation, and the number of full-time employees that the mayor has added over the past two years. And uh, again, like we've still got a a lot of necessary focus on service delivery. I'm here to say it is going to be a challenge. Okay. Right. Quick budget question about that too. It's like, and I make notes about this as I drive around town and yesterday evening, I don't know, maybe seven o'clock, maybe a little before that I was home early. You drive down Broadway. There's a new initiative that's happened over the past couple of months where they're literally the entire north side of Broadway are all police cruisers with their lights on for the entire night. They just stay there all night. Right. Then they close the street. And then you see, I don't know, dozens of police officers on Broadway just in the five blocks. Nowhere else in town. But on those five blocks, you know, dozens, if not 100 police officers. There was no game last night at Bridgestone. There was not. There was nothing going on. I drove through and I was looking around and then about to make a right turn from Broadway onto Fourth, and there were two, three, five police officers standing there as about two hundred people jaywalked against the the light. And I actually rolled down the window and asked him. I said, "Are you guys on the clock?" You know, which they hate that, by the way. Um, turns out. Who's paying them? Metro's paying them. Right. And so I'm driving there and I'm going like literally 100 police officers in riot gear, by the way, just in case yet another riot breaks out on Broadway, which we had almost a third of one once. Um, You know, this is an enormous amount of money. Yeah. We've never really talked about or very rarely have we talked about the shift that happened when we went from private security for events to metro security and, yeah. and the overtime that are, and, and don't get me wrong i i think our police officers uh, acquitted themselves well this past week sure did um you know we i am not an anti-police person ne- necessarily but i mean we're paying a lot of overtime for things that are sort of event-based or tourist-based with it doesn't feel like a lot of income coming in to offset that. Is that what do you, what's your, I mean, you've got that district. You, you, yep. you wrestle with that all the time. Yeah. It's a real challenge because you need to figure out, um, there's, there's the idea of the response being proportional to the problem. Right. Well, and correct. so this, what you're seeing as part of something called the entertainment entertainment district initiative. Right. Right. And, it is. It's sort of a it's a flood the zone approach because the truth of the matter, Brian, is the requests for service out of Central Precinct, which is geographically the smallest precinct among the police precincts in the city of Nashville, are astonishingly high. And the reason that they're often in pretty serious gear, tactical riot style equipment, is I mean, you've probably seen the same thing. The number of times people have sent me and most of this is after COVID. And I think it's just some of this is a social behaviors changed, right? And there was pent up frustration, anxiety. Hey, want to go out, just cut loose, whatever. But there's, there, there have been open brawls in the street on Broadway. And some of this to, to that bigger point is making sure we manage the entertainment district whole, like whole across the board wholesale and meanwhile, it opens the door to yet another conversation about state and local because sure. Steve Smith is working actively right now with to a bill that it. might pass yeah. to remove our local authority 
for beer inspectors to go into establishments on the in the entertainment district and instead to have that referred to the state alcoholic beverage commission which again i'm sure they expect that they'll get a friendlier audience when the state legislature is the oversight body well, they certainly than, will right oh yeah. absolutely I mean, steve will but the you know i look at that and then i always wonder a little bit what you said earlier which is about using the leverage nashville has right and yeah. if all those policemen disappeared uh, if they want the state alcohol board to take over that, then I think that the state should also be responsible for policing it. So the tricky part there is, and this is again, it is, on, it is a state highway. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So this is. Uh, I just got approached. So uh, last time I saw Jay was just a week ago at the conference for neighborhoods hosted right. by Neighbor to Neighbor, and somebody there approached me after the forum who owns a party bus business and was saying you know how uh and i've had this conversation actually just more than once in the past few weeks about people sort of um trying to i guess explain to me as Mm -hmm. the representative for district 19 that (laughs) that this is an area that is you know for tourists and it's and and my response is I represent the area, and there are 20,000 people living downtown. Right. And it's their neighborhood, too. And they've made what I consider to be a smart land use decision. They've got all of the opportunities of of the entire spectrum of live, work, play, and invest uh, right there available to them. And I am sad because a couple of constituents that have been longtime kind of urban neighbors of mine uh, are leaving one of the urban residential communities and hightailing it to Brentwood. And part of the reason for that was what you just identified, which is they were walking recently to the symphony from their condo. And I mean, it's six blocks tops and it was hard. It was, yeah. you know, it was difficult from the standpoint of being a pedestrian. Um, and that is true for both motorists and other folks who mm-hmm. don't seem to, it's, it's as if we don't have traffic signals right. and other things down there. Um, it, it had, you know, other elements of danger where we've had, again, more aggressive street behavior, uh, in the urban core. Um, and it, it, you know, it's almost like if you don't have folks potentially escorting you, I was talking to another person at the mm-hmm. conference for neighborhoods about this element of, uh, what it means right now to feel unsafe as a pedestrian because it happens in a variety of different ways. And that's, I want to be able to invest in that. I want to be able to invest in people like in other major cities that have, have had their downtowns experience a Renaissance like Nashville's where it's very common to walk for a mile in an urban area, right? I mean, if you go to a New York, a Chicago, an LA, if you're in a part of the city that is open to, you know, if it's got a lot of residents, if it's open to people visiting and you've got great restaurants and retail, it's, it's not uncommon to walk for blocks at a stretch. And that's, that's a corner that Nashville's had a hard time turning. One of the things we talk about regularly, he talks about more than I do, but we talk about regularly is again, the lack of planning. So, so, okay, let's assume that it is a tourist district in some ways. We still don't really, I mean, you know, let's the adult Disneyfication of downtown. Um, But we really don't have a plan. So it's like with the, with the party bus thing and, and all of that, um, you know, if there was a traffic plan that looked and said, okay, you 
are res- you have to stay in these streets or this is the circle you have to make or those mm-hmm. kinds of things and again it's just so ad hoc it's just it just well, it's interesting. and, there, and there's no this, you never get to say this to a city council person right but, <laughs> but, but I, was, I will to. say this that when i remember distinctly uh when the sec was here this has been now four or five years ago four years ago maybe uh for the men's basketball tournament at bridgestone they managed traffic um and so when you drove into downtown to drop somebody off, it took about three minutes to get in and out of downtown because SEC managed traffic. When Metro manages traffic, it takes 30 to 40 minutes to drive in and out of downtown because of one thing. I call it the second light syndrome, right? So you have the swarm and, mo- and I will say a lot of Metro, but also a ton of private armed people that make me way more uncomfortable than the street vendors. Um, the uh, When I see a guy that clearly is from Putnam County that is so excited he gets to wear his vest and his his pistol with his second pistol and his knife and his and his two kinds of cans of spray yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And you can tell by looking at him that he's been waiting for this moment his entire life. Exactly. When I see that guy, I'm way more scared than when a homeless guy comes up and wants 10 bucks for weed right so but nonetheless he's there they get you past the corner of fifth and broadway and point you north on fifth at which point there are two red lights and yeah. three or four hundred cars yes so this <laughs> right? so that all right and that's it, the lack of plan it's interesting because this conversation is connected to a couple different things and it's it, it, again it's there are there, like so much of what we've talked about there's good and bad right i I will say I think it's overall good for Nashville to have a downtown that can be home to 20,000 people, right? It, yes. It's mm-hmm. it's you you a, a strong and vibrant urban core helps the rest of the city fundamentally, right. right? The the property tax efficiency of what is our urban core has the capacity at least to pay for excellent city services, infrastructure, you know, park schools and libraries from from downtown to the county line in every direction. And that's a thing that should be celebrated. But we have to still get all the pieces right. And I will give Mayor Cooper credit for something in the last year that I think I said we needed to be doing about five years ago, which is to have somebody with decision-making authority that is there after hours. In fact, I think Metro as a whole, as a government, needs to start evolving because our overall public safety plan to come back to that and it's you know it's it's interesting right we we did watch mayor dean go from economic development public safety and education to mayor barry saying really more education uh housing and transit as kind of the three things she was focused on i do think safety has to be the bedrock of almost everything we do uh and everything kind of comes up from that foundation but safety too is is something that is a has a multi-pronged approach to it it's not a policing only approach as we look at downtown and coordination it is all those things and we we started before covid this notion of an operating plan for downtown Mm -hmm. and covid just blew a hole in it and we have not revisited it more recently the mayor did create this position of a director of nightlife kind of elevating the director of the beer board to that I think that and the Transportation Licensing Commission, when I'm mayor, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to quickly have 
a meeting to establish where these boundaries are because one of the other things, again, focused on the the principle quality of life degradation is is one of the things that's making people think out loud, why am I even staying here, right? The, the state is actively making me feel unwelcome. And even here where we have more capacity to do it in the city of Nashville, we're not doing a lot to fix little things like obnoxious amounts of noise that emanate from the entertainment district. Whether you live in a vertical neighborhood closer to downtown or in a neighborhood like mine that's within the radius where party buses and short-term rentals might operate, we have to figure out how Metro as a whole, not just the police department, but codes, probably the Nashville Department of Transportation, the Transportation Licensing Commission, every like these, these organizations that do enforcement that don't require somebody with probably being armed like a sworn police officer right fundamentally i don't want the police who i want focused on crime and particularly violent crime i don't want them showing up at a patio where bachelorettes are out of control at 3 a.m after the bars have closed right right? that's and so we have to figure out how like how we're going to align metro to ensure that we can enforce the things that residents expect and that are clearly established rules and norms and all these things where you could issue a citation. You could shut somebody down, uh, whether it's a party bus or another piece of our tourist economy, and then still leave room for the police to be able to be patrolling where they should be patrolling, right? And that's that's in neighborhoods all across the city. Sure. So we're getting close on time. Yeah. So um, let's assume you get elected, okay, and you get near the end of your first term. What do you hope Nashville will look like then? Yeah, so what I would hope Nashville looks like is a much, much better managed uh, downtown urban environment, entertainment district, all of those things that people who right now today say, oh, I don't go downtown anymore, stop saying that, right? That they come down and visit the National Museum of African American Music, that they come to performances at the symphony, not worrying about being stuck for 45 minutes in the second light thing, that we've, <laughs> we've gotten our traffic management and event management to a coordinated place uh, that we will have several community transit centers either under construction or complete that connect communities by transit and a frequent transit network that supports them so that not everybody choosing to move around the city by use of transit has to come downtown to transfer in order to do so. This plan already exists. It's a plan that uh, Mayor Barry wanted to shoot the moon on transit and Look, I give her a lot of credit for the ambition, but to me, it should have been a both and. We should have done what we go, public transit, formerly Nashville MTA, told us to do uh, six years ago, which was to do the near-term, popular, public, invisible, and useful things. It's a three-year plan. We've got the operating and capital capacity now that we're a $3 billion city to go do this work. And so you would see that element there. Um, we would, I think, have really, like, we're, my, my hope is that we will have re-cemented, um, we'll have a standalone office of homeless services, which I already helped create, and a standalone office of housing, which I hope to move the planning division, the housing division at planning out. And those things will be working in tandem to ensure that not only are we creating housing appropriate for people that are currently unhoused, uh, and that we are also investing the full $30 million in barns so that we actually start to see average rents start to fall, right? there. My hope is that we can 
advance the conversation of housing, do the elements that are in the Affordable Housing Task Force. Fundamentally, at the end of four years, I want us to be done with planning fatigue, right? I want us to have actual fatigue because we did things that we've got the plans. I don't need, I'm not going to spend, if I'm elected, I'm not going to spend the first year or two years doing a bunch of plans. hire more consultants? I'm going to lay all of the plans out on the desk with our leadership team, with members of the neighborhoods that came to the neighborhood conference of neighborhoods, metro departments, and say, here's what we're doing. I mean, our first hundred days is going to be, we're going. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we are so pleased to have you with us. Uh, did you have any other questions? I got a million, but I think that we're, because, uh, which is the fun thing about doing this. I mean, uh, we really appreciate your time. It's early on a Saturday morning and you've got a full day. Uh, when running for mayor, Saturdays are busy days. Uh, it and, turns out they really are. <laughs> so, uh, so, well, we appreciate your service to the city and, and joining us on the BNA. Well, so last point of information that your listeners will want to know, I'm sure, is that early voting opens less than 100 days from now. Uh, it starts on July 14th. The election itself is August 3rd. I uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to earn your the votes of your listeners, and people can find out more at readyforfreddy.com. Thanks awesome. so much for thanks being so with much. us. Yeah, thanks, guys. So that was a great interview. Yeah, that's, you know, what a, what a privilege to get to sit in the room with and listen to the passionate, um, you know, platforms of these mayoral candidates. I mean, it's really... It's, it's just a privilege. So I'm glad we get to do it. And hopefully enough people will get to hear it, that it it helps uh, making a decision on who we're going to vote for this fall. Well, and, and we would want to encourage the four or five people that listen to this, if you would share it on social media. Yeah, please do. Um, so that folks can have a chance to hear these candidates. Um, we don't claim to be any great, uh, wonderful experience in listening, but... Um, there's these very little, very, very little journalistic. No, um, no, we, there's no journalistic integrity. Actually, I can't at even all. spell. Yeah, I could, I guess. But you have a hard time saying it. Let alone spelling. Journalistic integrity. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that. But um, we think these are valuable. And so we do want to encourage you if you would share it. And so that other folks uh, can have the experience of listening to these candidates uh, speak. And uh, I, I and will a much say more this. casual is a way is a much more casual atmosphere, and we will ask questions that other people are afraid to ask because they have to they have to like keep their jobs as journalists. Yeah, and um, we can't be fired, so we can ask some some questions that are sometimes a little more pointed. Well, I guess I and can be fired, but it's hard to do. Would be hard to be fired from the podcast. Well, that's true. Yeah, right. Yeah, you I could get fired from church. I guess. I, guess I mean, I, I could get fired too, but I own both companies I work for. So. Yeah, well, that that that's a good. But thing. I have had some. I mean, I may be self employed, but I have still had some employee problems. Gotcha. Yes. So uh, so anyway, thanks to Freddie. He was he was great. Great and, guest. Um, uh, we, like we said, I think well prepared and well spoken. We're, we're working on getting other candidates signed up and hopefully we can continue to do this look forward to bringing it to you guys go out and eat local absolutely uh, find something good to do and if there is an opportunity right now for you to participate in your voice being heard in nashville with the things that are going on here get out there and get your voice heard it's very important absolutely we'll see you next time